Okay, so we are now back round a table for the first time in three and a half years. It's been a very long time. This time last year, I was thinking, would it ever happen again? And it has, by the grace of God. A lot has happened in the last 12 months. We've lost a dear brother. Mm. We've come through multiple lockdowns, restrictions, health problems, illnesses. We've all had something wrong with us, but we've come through it by the grace of God. This will be our most ambitious outreach since probably 2016. We are here for 10 days. We've got a lot to look at, a lot to do, places to visit, people to meet, uh, try to get the gospel out. That is the goal, of course. Fellowship, we all need it. But for this morning, what I want to do is finish a four-year study. Back in 2018, and I forget which outreach it was, it may have been Scotland, but I can't remember, we started to look at the complete prophecies of Christ, and we did two volumes. 2019 was volume two, which was in Nottingham, and the goal was to go to volume three, but of course we've had no outreaches for three years, it's been a very long time. So by the grace of God, here we are in Newcastle, and looking forward to the week ahead, lots to do, and uh, I'm hoping that we can cover a lot of ground as much as is possible, and I want to finish the third and final volume looking at all of the prophecies of Christ what I don't want to do uh, due to time is go to the epistles I want to focus specifically on Matthew Mark Luke and John from last time we got to the gospel of John and uh, we had to stop due to running out of time basically so we're going to take our time now uh, the goal will be every morning to sit down and do what we are doing this morning and uh, cover as much ground as is possible. And I want to sort of give you a flavour as to how this study is going to run. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 20, way back in the Old Testament, 1100 years BC. And I won't spend too much time discussing types and shadows, but sometimes it's worth just doing just that. You think about someone like Joseph, had many brethren, was sold out by his brethren, was sold to the Gentiles. Of course, Jesus was sold out to the Gentiles, Pilate and Herod. Joseph's brethren were out of fellowship with him for a period of time. Joseph is the leader of Egypt, as will, Je as will Jesus be at the second advent. Egypt is, of course, the type of the world. Jesus will be on the new earth. So after a thousand years, or even during the thousand-year reign, the brethren of the Lord will be reconciled to him, specifically at the end of the tribulation, going into the thousand-year reign. Joseph was beloved of his father, Jesus is beloved of his father. Keep that in mind, it'll help you to really appreciate an incredible scripture back in 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Let's start this third and final volume looking at the complete prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pick it up in verse 12. And Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, just stop there for one second. Jonathan, son of Saul, Jonathan, David's blood brother, Jonathan, a type of John the Apostle, David, a type of Jesus Christ. Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel. Did you get that? He's calling David Lord God of Israel. David is the son of Jesse. When I've sounded my father about tomorrow, any time, or the third day, after three days was raised from the dead, and behold, if there be good toward David, and I then send not unto thee, and show it thee, the Lord do so much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do evil, then I will show it thee, and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace, and the Lord be with thee. 
as he hath been with my Father. Father in heaven, we thank you for our blessings, the salvation you've given us. We pray you'll bless this message. Help us to really understand the depth of Scripture. Uh, the Bible is the only book in the world which gives us over 200 prophecies about a man before he was ever born, his birth, his death, his life, his resurrection, his ascension. There are so many people that have come and gone over the years, Lord, but Jesus Christ is the prime, primary character, the most uh, preeminent, the most beautiful and holy and righteous and the sovereign in awaiting. We pray you'll bless this message, Lord. It's been four years coming, three years to complete. We pray you'll bless it. Make these verses real to all of us. Show us more truths and realities. Make this book more precious to us. And we pray for your blessing today and throughout this mammoth 10-day outreach. For Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So again, let's break this down. First Samuel 20, 12 again. And Jonathan said unto David, he's speaking to David, O Lord God of Israel. He's speaking to David, but he's speaking to God. He's speaking about David, but he's speaking about God. He's in the spirit, not the flesh. He's making the statement, David is the Lord God but not the son of Jesse, son of Jehovah. It's an incredible statement, and you almost miss it. He's praying, he's talking, he's talking, he's praying. He's filled with the Spirit of God. It goes back to Zacharias. It goes back to Elizabeth, even Mary as well, back in the Gospel of Luke. They are filled with the Spirit of God. They are prophesying. They are revealing truths, hidden way back in the Old Testament. One more time. And Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, He's speaking to God, but he's speaking to David. He's speaking about David. He's speaking about God. He's seeing Christ in David. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit down my right hand. I make thine enemies thy footstool. Psalm 110. And here we are way back in the Old Testament again. And David is saying to David, you are the Lord God, but not you, but who's behind you? Who's going to come down the line from your seed? When I've sounded my father about tomorrow, any time, or the third day, the third day, the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David... This is my beloved son, and if I then send not unto thee, and show it thee, the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do, e- uh, to do the evil, now Saul is a type of the devil here, then I will show it thee, and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace. And the Lord be with thee, as he hath been with my father. Let's open this up, go to the Gospel of John. So you've got a wonderful prophecy there, how David is not just the son of Jesse, beloved of his father, but he's also in type. Jesus, beloved of his father. It's a strange scripture, that. And you almost miss it. John 12 will be the place we're going to start for volume 3. John chapter 3. John 12, excuse me. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And look at verse 12. On the next day, much people that will come to the feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him. And cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. With authority of the Lord, when an ambassador goes overseas, he or she speaks with the authority of the president, the prime minister, the king, the queen, have the authority. And here he comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus comes in the name of Jehovah, because of course he is Jehovah. Blessed is the King of Israel. But of course that didn't happen at the first advent. But it'll happen at the second advent. At the first advent, they put a crown of thorns on his head. At the second advent, he'll be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What the world saw yesterday with the death of the funeral, I didn't watch any of it, of course, but the death of the Queen, I should say, the funeral of the, of the Queen. The same four billion people worldwide watched it. We didn't watch any of it, of course, but uh, that's probably a conservative figure, maybe more, maybe less, I don't know. But what you're going to see with the crowning of the King in the coming weeks will be no doubt... 
an event of a lifetime. It'll cost millions of pounds. I would imagine most world leaders will be flying back in to see Charles crowned king. Charles III, very ominous title. You think back to Charles I, a very wicked king. Charles II wasn't much better. Charles III, well, we'll see how he works out. Dinah would say he wasn't fit to be king. A lot of controversy and problems with his background and what have you. But the point is, the world is watching a monarchy, which for this time and age, this woke era, is kind of rare. A lot of people are Republicans, and yet if you are to believe the news, I don't, but if you were to believe just a pinch of the news bulletins, just like a pinch of salt, what they say, if you were to believe half of what they've been reporting, millions have been in London over the last 10 days, queuing to see a casket, the casket of the Queen, if she'd even inside of that box, that coffin, I don't know. That's a glimpse, number one, of a true king being crowned at the second advent. But it's also a picture of the Antichrist when he comes. It says over in Revelation they'll be given gifts when the two witnesses are killed. You couldn't make this stuff up 2,000 years ago. How could the whole world see what's going on in Jerusalem? Impossible. But now it's live TV, satellite, internet, so on and so forth. On the next day, 12 again, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem... Jesus never had a trouble getting any crowd, incidentally. Wherever he went, there were crowds all over the place. Took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him. And cried, saluted him, spoke out loud, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now this is another interesting passage. You've got predominantly lost people here prophesying about the second advent. Not even realising it. Because of course the first time he came to die, not to reign. But they don't know that. They think he's coming to take over the rule the reign to kick the Romans off the throne and uh, claim it as his own, not for the first coming. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, spelt with an S, elsewhere it's Z, Zion, Zionism. Behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colts. Go to Psalm 118, keep your hand there in John. An ass, like a donkey, like a mule, which... Today, by today's standard, is seen as a sort of insignificant creature, but back in the days of Abraham, if you had an animal like a camel or a donkey or a mule, you were thought of as being quite wealthy, quite prosperous. But also it pictures his humility. It wasn't a stallion. That would be at the second advent, of course. A mule, a very simple animal, a coal, a donkey. What did I say? Psalm 118. And in verse 25, Psalm 118, verse 25. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Go to Zechariah. Zechariah. So Psalm 118 looks towards the first advent. And like many other passages, go straight to the second as well. There's no uh, delineation many a time. And that's why rabbis and Old Testament uh, Jews struggle sometimes to understand how the Bible is laid out. I always find it interesting when I get to uh, these passages. You've got so many scriptures like, They pierced my hands and my feet. They surrounded me uh, like wild animals. You've got passages back in Daniel as well. Deuteronomy 18, a prophet will come. Listen to him, whatever he says to you. Take seriously. That's also picked up in the book of Acts. 
and uh, had the Jews received Jesus, of course, the second advent would have been ushered in, but they rejected him, so the church comes in, which goes back to Matthew 13, the parables, how the church is now the mystery kingdom, so on and so forth. So many layers to scripture, which if you don't study it, don't read it, you probably miss it. Zechariah 9, Zechariah 9, look at verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, and having salvation. Again, he comes on a donkey, a mule, very simple, meek animal, like I said, not a stallion. That's Revelation 19, second advent. He is just, and having salvation. He has the keys, he has the door, he is the door, of course. Lowly and riding upon an ass, an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Go back to John 12 again. So the Jews were told what to look out for, and he comes into Jerusalem. There's a feast underway. The Jews are already excited about it, looking forward to it, participating in it. They've seen the miracles. They've heard his words. They say elsewhere, no one ever spoke like this man. They should have received him, but of course man is very complicated, very complex. Man is very sinful. In fact, we were discussing this this morning around breakfast time. Why so few people get saved? It's a pride issue. We know that, of course. Nothing new there, of course. And most people will probably say, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. And that's probably true for most people. But they've done other sins, which Word of God says, if you break one part of the law, you've broken all parts of the law. And that's why it's really quite sad when you come across righteous people, self-righteous people, who just don't want to receive what Christ has done for them. And they end up turning up a great uh, invitation. Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel. Second Advent, like I said, that cometh in the name of the Lord. Comes the name of Adonai. That's what the Jews call him, Jehovah. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass. Young, hasn't been used before. Young ass. Sat thereon as it is written. Again, Psalm 118, Zechariah 9. Fear not. He would say that many times. Fear not. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not. And yet we do fear. Don't be anxious about anything, and yet we do worry about the plans for the futures. Plan of the future, what we're going to do. We worry about this, we worry about that, and it doesn't help it. It doesn't, it doesn't fix the situation anyway. Thy king cometh, Jews king cometh. He's not the king of the Gentiles, he's the king of the Jews, and yet with all their knowledge, all their revelation, they still didn't get it, they still missed it. Thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. Go to John 13, let's keep moving on. John 13. John 13, look at verse 37. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Well, later on he would certainly do so, based on tradition. But the first time around, he starts to curse and swear. He blasphemes. He says, I don't, I don't know that man. You know, I have nothing to do with him. He's angry. He's embarrassed. He's also hurt. His master has died, was about to die. Poor old Peter. He always gets slated by so many people. 38, Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow, to not crow, till thou hast paid, so much thou has denied me thrice. There's a picture there, there's a prophecy, there's a prediction of what's going to come. And of course, Peter is in denial. As you would imagine, that go back to chapter 12. I just jumped a chapter there. <laughs> uh, 12. 37, and I'll just tie these two verses together. Uh, 12, 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. This is the text I should have given you. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. 
because that Isaiah said before, Isaiah said before, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Go to uh, Isaiah 53. I think I need Isaiah 6, but I haven't got that here. Uh, we're at Isaiah 53 first, and we'll work back. 53.1 Who hath believed our reports? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, our, we, us, it goes back to the plural of majesty. And if you speak to anti-Trinitarians, what they'll say is, well, the term, let us make man in our image, isn't God speaking to the Trinity? They don't believe in the Trinity. It could be God speaking to the angels, which is problematic, because they are created creatures. Or God is using the plural of majesty. But the plural of majesty started with the Persians, then the Babylonians. It's not technically a Jewish uh, way of speaking. Now today, when the king speaks, he will speak in the third person. We are very happy to have you here. Uh, it's a great honour for us to entertain you, so on and so forth. But in Genesis 21, when God speaks, he's speaking on behalf of the Trinity, which we'll discuss probably in tomorrow's study. But here Isaiah is speaking, and it's not Isaiah, it's Jehovah speaking. But it's Isaiah, but it's Jehovah. It goes back to Jonathan speaking, but it's not Jonathan speaking, it's already goes in Jonathan, speaking about Jesus to David via David. You, I hope you follow me. Who hath believed our reports, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now go to chapter 6, which I hadn't written down, but that should be read in conjunction with, uh, with John 12. Isaiah 6, and uh, I think it's 6. I've got another verse I wanted to look at. In fact, join me, go, jump over to Psalm 20, uh, 69. I'll go back to Isaiah shortly. I've got another verse in my mind. Psalm 69. Psalm 69. These pages are falling out. I'm so careful. Psalm 69. Look at verse 20, 23. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not and make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them. Let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. This goes back to the Jews hearing the gospel, but not receiving it. Now go back to Isaiah 6. It was Isaiah 6. These verses are right in front of me, and sometimes I can't even see them. This is typical of a live Bible study. Isaiah 6, and uh, look at uh, 10. Make the heart of this people fat, like just over, bless them, give them more than they could handle, basically, more than they actually need. Make their eyes heavy, like trying to fight sleep weariness and shut their eyes so make their ears heavy i should say and shut their eyes just block their ears so they can't hear make their eyes uh unable to see close their eyes basically lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and convert and be healed now go back to john 12 again so he comes the first time and he says uh, again saying of isaiah the prophet uh, 38 might be fulfilled which he spake, Isaiah speaks, but the Lord is speaking. Lord, who hath believed our reports, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed, the strength of the Lord, arm of the Lord. Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said before, he's prophesying, they'll kick against it. He, being the Lord, hath blinded their eyes, and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, not understand with their hearts, and be converted, and I should heal them. I'll give you two more examples of this. Go to Romans 1 and Ephesians 4. If you come across reprobates, and you will, of course, if you do any kind of street work, you'll meet some strange people, really strange people. And uh, let's see if I'll find these two passages. 
pick up Romans 1 actually first of all. And sometimes people just won't get it. They will not receive it. Uh, and because of that, whatever you say to them, it just doesn't register with them. There's a reason for that. Romans 1, pick it up in verse 24. Wherefore God also hath, excuse me, wherefore God also gave them up, gave them up to uncleanness, to the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than a creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this cause, for this reason, 26, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use unto that which is against nature. There's your lesbians, which now is the flavor of the month. And likewise also the men, there's your sodomites. Leaving the natural use of the woman, it's natural for a man to be with a woman, and vice versa. But a man with a man, woman with a woman, animal, dog, cat, man, cow, pig, you know what I'm saying, bestiality, abnormal. Men with men, working that which is unseemly. And receiving themselves that recompense of the error which was meat, payment, kickback, HIV, AIDS, gonorrhea, syphilis, all the consequences of sleeping around. And even as they did not like to attain God in their knowledge, well, of course not, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, gave them over, gave them up, reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now go back to Ephesians 4 and uh, pick it up in... Pick it up in verse uh, 17. 4.17 This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind having the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now go back to Isaiah 6, one final time. So it starts with man giving himself up. It starts at college normally, university. And if he continues down that path, God gives him up. And at that stage, there's really no going back. You're on the road to ruin. Look at verse 9, 6, 9. And he said, go and tell this people, hear you indeed, but understand not. And see you indeed, but perceive not. He still gives them a chance to hear the gospel, which is what we do. Make the heart to this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and convert and be healed. But they still won't receive it. Go to John 13 this time. John 13. So that's why people don't get saved. First and foremost, they don't want to be saved. It's easy to reject the gospel. It's easy to kick against it. What you're really saying is, I'm not a bad person anyway. And I'll take my chance at the judgment. That's what people are basically saying when they turn Jesus down. John 13. John 13. And look at 18. I speak not of you all. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Go to Psalm 41. Psalm 41. Must have been a terrifying thought to realise that you are fulfilling prophecy. Psalm 41 and uh, look at verse 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which that eats of my bread hath lifted up his heel against me. This goes back to the seed of the serpent, seed of the woman, found back in Genesis chapter 3, and it, it continues to hold a scripture. Many antichrists, many 
types of Christ. I think Samson's called a saviour, type of Jesus, of course. Yea, mine own familiar friend, Judas. He wasn't a stranger, he was a friend. In whom I trusted. That's what makes it so terrible. Which had eats of my bread. We sat on the same table. We had meals together. Hath lifted up his heel. His heel against me. Go back to John 13 again. 13. 18. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. For service not salvation. But that the scripture may be fulfilled. Scripture cannot be broken. Thy word is truth. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Just the one traitor. And elsewhere they all start to ask themselves, is it me? Is it I? Who could it be? That shows me that they all have the potential to sell him out. John 15. John 15, please. John 15. And uh, look at verse 23. He that hateth me hateth my father also. The same to the Jew. In the context, the Jews reject Jesus. First John 2 says they are antichrist for doing so. The Muslims reject Jesus as the Son of God. They too are antichrist by rejecting him. He that hateth me, that's powerful, hates me, not just dislikes me, hates me. He that hateth me hateth my father also. You've got two people here, father and son. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll discuss that probably tomorrow. But you've got the two parts of the Trinity here, father and son. I think most of us can relate can relate to this. You've got a brother, you've got a sister, you've got a son, you've got a daughter, mother, father, grandfather, grandmother. You're close to your father, you're close to your wife, you're close to your mother, you're close to your aunt, you're close to your cousin, you're close to this person, that person, your sibling, what have you. Kick against my sister, kick against my brother, it's going to hurt. Kick against my mother, my aunt, my father, so it's going to hurt. So, so you kick against the Son of God, you're kicking against God the Father. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had seen, but now they have both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled, that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Go to Psalm 35. To hate somebody without a cause is a strong statement to make. We've already discussed King Charles briefly, and there's many reasons to hate him for his unrighteous behaviour over the last... 40 years but even the term hate is a bit strong uh, you can hate past leaders for bringing in wicked laws but even that's a bit strong you can hate your ex-husband your ex-wife if you've got that or estranged children but even that's a bit strong uh, you can look at someone like Muhammad or Confucius or Buddha in fact Buddha's wife could have hated him he walked out on his wife and his children he left great uh, wealth he became a a very poor man, and he never saw his wife or children again. They had a reason to hate him. I mean, he gave up everything, Buddha. And he went searching for the light. Uh, but to hate someone like Christ is tough to really comprehend. And yet to this day, what do they say, JC? Mm. OMG. Yeah. And we discuss this many a time, Patrick and I. And uh, it never gets any easier when you hear people say that, especially children. Uh, Psalm 35, Psalm 35 Look at verse 19. Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. Neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. Without a cause. One eye. Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. 
Neither let them wink, wink with the eye that hates me without a cause. What do the Illuminati do? They put one, one, uh, one hand over the eye. What is that with that one eye? Mm. What does it say over in Zechariah? The idle shepherd, I-D-O-L. He's got a dodgy right eye. Is it Popeye with the one eye? Yeah, Popeye, yeah. Was it the Pirates of the Caribbean? Yeah. What's the character that... Uh, the, the, uh, Jack Sparrow. Jack Sparrow, thank you. Johnny Depp. Let's keep it up to date, people. <laughs> uh, Psalm 69, and all these bogeymen with the one eye. What's going on? They're all types of the Antichrist, of course. Uh, Psalm 69. I'm not sure if Jack Sparrow did have a dodgy eye. He may have done, I don't remember. I think one of the. No, but he's a, it's a character. He's a, bit, he's a bad guy, and he's a thief, and he's a robber, and he's a bad guy. And yet they love him. They always love the bad guy, don't they? Psalm 69, verse 4. For they that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. Too many to count. I mean, it's shocking, really, isn't it? I mean, Buddha's family, yeah, they had a right to be angry with him. Uh, and other people, Confucius, he started to preach uh, philosophy. Travelled around uh, China. Uh, was stigmatised by his people. Didn't get the recognition he thought he deserved until long after his death. And now everyone in China is a Confucian based on his teachings which is simply to love your family on your parents uh, which is the fifth commandment of course uh, be a good student do the right thing help society the big society as one british prime minister once called it but he had a lot of kickback but he wasn't hated but he wasn't welcomed either so you got people in history who could have been hated should have been hated it's like the devil I remember years ago we did we did an outreach when there brother patrick and i went down to buckingham palace mm. And a group of students came from Italy, I think it was, and uh, our elderly brother got in the middle of these young men. It's great. I can still remember it now in my mind so clearly. And uh, one of the young boys blasphemed. And just like that, the elderly brother said, but you can't curse, but you can't Christ the devil, can you? Yeah. I bet you can't curse the devil, can you? And of course, they looked rather perplexed, which is true, you can't. You can curse God, but you can't curse the devil. I've never heard it in all of my life. Oh, Lucifer! Never heard it. Or... Sweet Allah, I've never heard it, or Buddha, or Muhammad, it's always JC, it's, it's on the tip of their tongue. It goes back to John 1, how Christ lights every man that cometh into the world, because of course he is the light of the world. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head, but they that, excuse me, they that would destroy me, they that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, no reason to hate me, love me. Pilate, Herod, Judas, wrongfully, are mighty, president, prime minister, king, Pharisees. Then I restored that which I took not away. And I discussed this a few weeks ago. It's like a picture, well, it is a picture of grace. I'm restoring that which I took not away. I didn't steal anything. This is Jesus speaking. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. But I'll put it back, back into the coffers. I will put the money back into the kitty. Even though I didn't take it, I'll put it back in to cover what was done. Because someone somewhere has to keep a record of all this a wrong has to be put right go to John 17 please John 17 John 17 and uh, look at verse 12 while I was with them in the world I kept them in thy name those that thou gavest me I have kept and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture the scripture the scripture might be fulfilled. Go to Psalm 109. You think about it from this point of view. 
the prophets start to put pen to paper. They're showing the first advent, the second advent, the crucifixion, not the church age. It has been said by premillennial pre scholars that there's no church age specifically in the Old Testament, which is true. There's types of it, of course. You've got the Jews back in the Old Testament in the wilderness, the type of the church are called out people, but specifically the church age isn't shown to the Jews because the Jewish prophets, they see the two advents put together, sometimes delineated by a comma. And of course, had the Jews received Christ, there wouldn't have been a church age, but by the grace of God, we do get a church age, so we can all be saved and get a look in. Psalm 109, and uh, look at verse 8. Let his days be few, 30, 35, Judas, of course. And let another take his office. Now I will further elaborate and expound this passage when we get to Psalm 109, but basically and very briefly, there's two parts of this passage. You've got Acts chapter 1, where Matthias comes along to replace Judas. And there's been lots about that over the years. The Jews should have waited, or the apostles should have waited for Paul to come, but of course they weren't told that Paul was going to come. No one man gets everything in, in, in Scripture. Even Calvin said that, and it's true. God doesn't tell everyone, doesn't tell everything to everyone. Sorry. God doesn't tell one person everything. He picks different people. He tells Abraham, A, B, and C, X, Y, and Z, so on and so forth. So the Old Testament Hebrew writers are giving glimpses of different things. Like Solomon writes the Ecclesiastes and uh, Song of Solomon. He's given the uh, task of writing about philosophy, basically. The worldly man, the empty man, so on and so forth. Where David's given the Psalms to pen from the standpoint of a king. In type, the second advent being Christ, of course. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. You've got Judas Iscariot, obviously in the context here. You've got Matthias, who replaces him, Acts chapter 1. We've got the Antichrist as well, because of course Judas is the son of perdition. The Antichrist is the son of perdition, the man of sin. I'll give you one more, then we'll close. We've got more verses to look at, but we're almost at the 40-minute mark. So we'll do this again tomorrow, or this evening, if time allows and tie all these verses together. John 12. Now we open with 1 Samuel 20, where Jonathan is speaking to David. And uh, the background to that is, of course, Saul is jealous of David. He wants to uh, kill him, make it John 11. And uh, Jonathan is David's blood brother, basically. And people always like to say they're homosexuals, but of course they're not. But these are, this is the warpness of people's minds. And of course, Jonathan is a type of John Zebedee. And Jesus and John were very close, cousins of course, second cousins. And uh, people, sometimes, people sometimes forget that uh, David would marry Jonathan's sister. It's a family affair. And of course Saul is David's, step, uh, David's father-in-law and is a close family unit. David loves Saul. Saul, strange chap. I won't spend too much time discussing Saul, but there's jealousy, there's anger, there's bitterness towards David's popularity. It goes back to Jesus being popular. The Jews are jealous of Jesus being so popular. We know this son, we know Jesus, we know he's come from, he's the son of Joseph, not the son of Joseph, but the son of Joseph. He's doing all these miracles, he's got crowds following him, we don't like it, and the Jews kicked against Jesus, and of course Saul and his men kicked against David. So many different layers, types and shadows. So we started with 1 Samuel 20, like I say, David speaking to Jonathan, vice versa, and Jonathan calls David Lord God, which in type is Jesus' Jesus's deity, which we'll discuss when we get to the Trinity, but another passage in Scripture where the same sort of thing happens in John 11. And uh, pick it up in verse mm, 48. If we let him thus alone, about Jesus, all men will believe on him. That's the whole purpose of his coming. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. That's the reason why they put Christ on the cross, basically. Because they didn't want to lose their standing with Rome. 
And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all. Ye know nothing at all. Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this he spake, and this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. So here Caiaphas, an unsaved wicked man, is being filled with the Spirit of God, because he was the high priest. Jonathan is being filled with the Spirit of God, because he's a son of the king. Jonathan tells you about the deity of Christ via David, and here Caiaphas is giving a prophecy about the true nature of Jesus Christ, not even realising that God is speaking through him, which is incredible really. So sometimes lost people tell the truth, not very often, but sometimes they do. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year. He prophesied that Jesus should die not that Jesus died for that nation, not for that nation only, not just for the Jews, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God like a shepherd. That was scattered abroad, all of the Jews throughout the Roman Empire and down the line concerning the Gentiles. We'll close it there. We've got one more to do, and then we'll hopefully get this third and final volume wrapped up. But this is a continuation of a 2008 study looking at the prophecies of Christ many many prophecies I think 200 in total 68 direct the rest are indirect but these are the main ones that deal with Christ's coming his suffering Isaiah's the most vivid I would think of all the prophetic scriptures Psalm, uh, Psalm 22 which we discussed briefly how they surrounded him pierced my hands and my feet and how the rabbis loved to run back to the Hebrew and say it doesn't say that in the original Hebrew and throw out a wonderful prophecy of the Messiah's ministry. But these verses, mostly from John, point back to the Old Testament. And it's very interesting because the New Testament writers are always quoting the Old Testament. I think Paul does it 80 times in his own writings. And from memory, the Gospels do it 60 times. They can, they can rely so heavily on the Old Testament. And I want to discuss this more throughout this week, at the, uh, how, how, the, how the Jews... The emphasis that the Jews put on the scripture. It is written. It says this. It says that. Far more than we do. We're not Jews of course. This isn't our book. We're just Gentiles. But the point is the Jews. Saved or unsaved. For the most part. Have held the, have, they held the scriptures in such high esteem. And that's really a blessing. Which we can all learn from. So we'll close it there. Come back either tonight or tomorrow morning. And uh, pick it up from John chapter 18. So let's continue to work through the Complete Prophecies of Christ, Volume 3. Let's go to John chapter 18. And uh, this morning we looked at jealousy, envy, hatred, bitterness, so on and so forth. We saw that with King Saul. It would destroy him, of course, and the Jewish leaders in the Lord's Day would also be very angry, very hostile towards him. Jealousy, once again, it would destroy them. Only Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus would be saved from that priest-class system, just two men at around 20,000 priests that were in and around Jerusalem during that early era. Most had retired, of course, but just two would go on to be saved. Incredible. John 18, John 18, and uh, let's pick it up in verse 6. As soon then, as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. I am, going back to the book of Exodus, I am that I am, the eternal name of the Lord. Then asked he them again, 
Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. It goes back to those that would come against Elijah and he would send fire down from heaven and one group of 50 were burnt up, another group of 50 were burnt up, another group of 50 were burnt up and in the end the Lord said, don't worry, the next crowd that come up to you, you can receive them. So he got the Lord dealing with his enemies as would Elijah, but the Lord is more merciful than Elijah was. Look at verse 8. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Like, listen to me carefully. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake of them which thou gavest me. Have I lost none? Go to Deuteronomy 21. Background to this is, of course, the Lord's final hours. You've got Judas Iscariot with a band of men. And uh, before we started to record, Patrick was giving me a figure on, in his reference Bible, or one of his old reference Bibles, that around 1,500 men had come to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. It's quite possible. You think about the Magis, the wise men, when they came looking for the King of the Jews. And uh, they too would have come heavily armed. Yes. And uh, here these cowards are coming late at night under the shadow of uh, the darkness, shadow of the night or the darkness. And uh, they want to find the Lord. They want to arrest him, but of course he's not worrying about himself. He's worrying or he's concerned about his apostles. That's why he asks the question twice, whom do you seek? Deuteronomy 21, Deuteronomy 21, and uh, pick it up in verse 20. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice, he will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt, thou be, so shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, that's an idiom of course, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Go back to John 18. So that's a picture there of a man who dies in a cursed death as would Christ for us, Galatians chapter 3. And here you've got a man who was guilty, Judas Iscariot, who doesn't die straight away, but he dies later, and he hangs on a tree, he dies in a cursed death. Again, the Bible's together in such a way that you've got to be really careful how you follow along with it. Again, John eighteen six. As soon then as he, said, as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Again, slain in the spirit, we discussed it this morning, I think. Enemies of the Lord fall backwards. Those that love the Lord fall forward. We go forward in reverence. Those that hate him go backwards. And, and yet the sad thing is those who go backward think they know the Lord. They're not enemies per se. They're not atheists or agnostics. They are religious people. But they're lost. Then I see them again. Whom seek ye? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. The apostles, of course. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spake. Of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. That's a great reference dealing with uh, once saved, always saved. It's, it's uh, important that we get that clear. Also in this chapter, jump down to verse 31. There said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. And yet they would do just that with Stephen and other people pre and post Christ, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spake, signifying what death he should die. As he pictures his death, he sees what's going to come. He knew all things anyway. 
the attention to detail is incredible. If you look at any anybody else from antiquity, you may hear about people who get old up in years, you know, I don't feel my best, I feel like I'm going to die. But they don't know when they're going to die or how they're going to die. But of course the Lord Jesus Christ did know. He predicted how he would die, when he would die, where he would die. Outside of the city gates, of course. Go to John 19. John 19. So this is the second part of our first day in Newcastle. It's been a great start to our first day here. We had a good outreach this morning. Went to Gateshead. Got the banner up. This chap came walking, if not marching, over to us. Very upset that mm. the name of Jesus was being held up high in a banner. And he was partly correct that, of course, the Lord's name is Yeshua, not Jesus. But, of course, we're going with the English, not the Hebrew. 45, 50-minute back-and-forth debate with this chap. A deranged, deluded, <coughs> devil-possessed chap. Uh, filthy mouth. We all clashed with him. And I also got a bit hot under the collar with this chap. I was called obnoxious. Uh, but <laughs> it could have been a lot worse, of course. But uh, tracks went out. The banner was seen. And uh, we give God thanks for that. John 19, John 19, look at uh, 24. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. His garments, his clothing, of course. Whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Jump down to verse uh, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things are now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Go to Psalm 22. It would be very interesting to find out at the judgments how many people, uh, number one, would fulfill scripture. Number two, once they had fulfilled scripture, the consequences that would come for being a part of prophecy, not realising it. Uh, Psalm 22, look at verse uh, 18. They part my garments among them, cast lots upon my vesture, me, my, personal pronouns. You've got David speaking, but it's not just David, it's the greater David. Again, they part my garments among them, tear them up, cut them up, and cast lots upon my vesture, like roll the dice. Go back to John 19. You've got these Gentile soldiers, superstitious heathen, looking at the sinless son of God, and number one, Mocking what they can see, pulling him apart, enjoying his pain and misery, which of course is what we should all experience. Took our stripes upon him for all of us. Trying to explain that to this chap this morning. A very disturbed and dangerous chap in fact. And a couple of times I thought this could get violent. I wasn't particularly worried, but I'm always cautious on the street. And all these people, full of hot air, wanting to give us a lecture, wanting to help us out and put us right. And the whole world is marching off to hell all around us. Just four souls, just four of us, trying to do the work of 40 people, and it can't be done. You've got these religious people uh, coming up to us, trying to sort of shoot us down. That's how the devil works, of course. John 19, John 19, uh, cast your eye over verse 32. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which were crucified with him. Christ in the middle of the two thieves, of course. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs, which is unusual, of course. Mm. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced him, and forthwith there came out blood and water. Blood and water, found over in First John as well. Blood and water. And he that saw it bear a record, John, of course, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. Many 
Muslims like to quote that passage as somehow evidence that this book is not trustworthy, but of course John is telling you why he wrote this gospel, so you would believe and uh, follow the Lord. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him should not be broken, and again, another scripture saith they shall look on him whom they pierced. Go to Numbers 9. Numbers 9. I like to watch crime documentaries, probably too many. And 9 times out of 10, when somebody finds himself being killed or injured or left for dead or whatever it may be, it's nearly always down to jealousy, envy, a grieved spouse or a jealous business partner. And... Uh, it's either women or money, money or women or sometimes both, but it's nearly always jealousy, by and large. Insecurity, she's seeing someone else, he's seeing someone else, we've got children, blah, 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 and of course they start to plot and plan how to kill uh, the person who, is, who has wronged them. It goes back to Saul, jealous, along with his men, if we're not careful, David will take the kingdom from us, Jonathan will be overthrown, and Jonathan is my heir in waiting, we've got to deal with David, of course David loved Jonathan, Saul couldn't see, he was blinded by his paranoia. If Jesus comes along, he becomes king, we'll lose the kingdom and so on and so forth. And of course they take the sides of the Gentiles, going back to Joseph's brethren, taking the sides of the Ishmaelites, the Mohammedans, to, to, to sell Joseph into slavery. Again, the same old story, nothing new under the sun, of course. And all these enemies of the Lord trying to have their own way. And of course the Lord just sits up in the third heavens laughing his head off. Proverbs 1, Psalm 2. Numbers 9. Numbers 9, look at verse 12. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any bone of it, according to all the ordinances of the Passover. They shall keep it. It's a very clear commandment about the system of sacrificial uh, offerings back in the Old Testament. Go to Psalm 34. Christ is called the Lamb of God. And of course, the sudden death of Christ on the cross, what, six hours, was pretty remarkable. It has been said that some people would spend days on the cross just baking in the hot sun in, mm. in and around Jerusalem. This was what, Nissan, springtime. Uh, spring can be quite nice in the UK, but in the Middle East it's pretty hot. And he's gone within six hours, and uh, just incredible. Uh, Psalm 34, Psalm 34, and uh, look at verse 20. He keepeth all his bones. He, it's a person. Not one of them is broken. Go to Zechariah 12. Uh, Zechariah 12. And uh, I want verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me, whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him, as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Again, go back to John 19. Talk about a specific prophecy here. 36, for these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him should not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. It almost is a throwback to Psalm 22. Go to Exodus 12. Exodus 12. So the animal was left... Uh, in a place of safety before the night of the, of the the Passover, spotless, without wrinkle, without blemish. For memory, it was a male, and uh, it starts off with the animal is for the people, 
then it's for you. And that's a great picture of a, of a person personally appropriating the atonement. Bit of a mouthful there. Uh, Exodus 12. Exodus 12, and look at verse 46. In one house should it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. Go back to the Gospel of John. So he knew how he would die. He made it very clear that it wouldn't break a bone. They would pierce and they would puncture him. He would bleed from the head, maybe from the nose and the mouth area. He's sweating blood. He's got blood coming out of his side. He's got his feet nailed to the cross. That's what, at least three puncture areas that he would experience. His wrists as well, of course. But on top of all of that, not a bone would be broken. Of course, he dies prematurely. And that would have really infuriated uh, the Roman leaders, of course. Go to Acts chapter 1. I was going to stop in the Gospel of John, uh, but I think I want to just, uh, just do one more, and we will close this uh, study. I don't want to go into the epistles, if I can help it, because that will be another study within itself. Acts 1, in some ways, feels like the fifth Gospel, because uh, so much of the material is a continuation from the life of the Lord, of course. Acts 1, 15. Pick it up in 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guided then that took Jesus. Again, Psalm 41, Psalm 109, and Psalm 69. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. He did signs and wonders, of course. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out, a bit like how Jezebel would end up. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Asseldama, that is to say, the field of blood. The field is a picture of the world. Christ dies for the sins of the world. Matthew 13 dies for his enemies. Second Peter 2, 1. He purchased the entire world, the entire field, which again is a type of the world, like I was saying here, you've got Judas selling him out, and it's been put down in scripture that this, that this would happen, verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric lets another take, go back to Psalm 41, so in Psalm 41, we looked at that this morning, I seem to remember, from memory, and, uh, in Psalm 41, let's see if we can get another fresh look at this. Uh, nine, yea, mine own familiar friend, not just an acquaintance, but my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which makes it even more worse, which had eats of my bread, had lifted up his heel against me. Go back to Zechariah. So, all these passages pointing to uh, what was going to come and how it would come. The exact mode of the treachery and uh, Zechariah 11 Zechariah 11 you do just page after page prophecy after prophecy uh, Zechariah 11 12 and I said unto them and I said unto them if you think good give me my price and if not forbear so they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver when I first read this many years ago, I thought, this is incredible. Mm. And I checked the reference Bible, which I haven't got to hand now. And uh, the, <laughs> the guy who wrote the reference Bible put the statement down on paper, which came to me when I first read this many, many years ago. And I'll, I'll tell you what he said and what I think. And the Lord said unto me, 
12. Cast unto the potter a goodly price that I was prized at of them, and I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them in the, and cast into the potter in the house of the Lord. You've got the father speaking, you've got the son speaking, you've got Judah speaking. And I first saw this years ago, I thought, that's incredible. And my reference Bible, I've got a few, said the same thing. Father speaking, son speaking, Judas speaking. And I took the 30 pieces of silver, that's Judas, and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Go back to Psalm 69. So again, all these people have lived and died, part of the Lord's plan, indirectly fulfilling prophecy, not realising it was also directly from their standpoint they thought they were outside of it when they were inside of it pot in the clay isn't it or the puppet master Psalm 69 Psalm 69 and verse 25 let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents just uh, throw them away cast them off like a piece of rubbish for they persecute him whom thou hast smitten and they talk to the grief of those whom thou hast wounded he calls himself the Son of God. He said God could save him. Let him come down now from the cross. We shall see and believe. What do they say? Seeing is believing. Go to Psalm 109. I mean, it's, it's bad enough to reject him. Uh, it's bad enough to mock him. But to nail him to a cross and just walk around wagging their, wagging their fingers at him, as it were. Uh, thumbing their noses at him. Casting him out in front of the Gentiles. I mean, shocking about treachery. Psalm 109, and uh, look at, I think it's 8. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. We discussed that this morning. You've got Judas, falls, and yet is replaced by Matthias, who disappears by the end of Acts chapter 1. Antichrist comes along, same spirit as Judas Iscariot. Some have said that the Antichrist will be Judas Iscariot. Mm. I don't go for that, but it's a popular view held by a lot of dispensationalists that he would come up out of the pit. He goes to his own place. Acts chapter 1, go back to John chapter 6. Uh, and you've got all these theories, some of them are very interesting, I must admit, but I've always thought the Antichrist wouldn't be Judas Iscariot. But the same sort of a spirit that, or the same person like Judas who sold out Jesus... Uh, or someone like Elijah, who's found to be John the Baptist, or John the Baptist is a picture of Elijah. Again, people representing one another, and the Antichrist will be in the same personage as Judas Iscariot was. That's my understanding of it. John 6, John 6, and verse 31. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Keep your hand and go to, I think it's... Nehemiah. I was actually making notes for this study just two days ago. And uh, I had to sort of draw a line under some of these passages, otherwise it will never end. It's Nehemiah. John 6.31 again, hold on a minute. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. This goes back to verse 30. They said therefore unto him, What signs showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What does thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. This goes back to this morning's message. You've got Jews quoting a scripture, as it is written. Pointing back to a time in history, and I've got Nehemiah in mind, when an event took place, 
which almost, uh, which almost matches this word for word. And it gets you thinking, the way this book is laid out. Nehemiah 9. Nehemiah 9. Look at verse 13. Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai, and spakest with them from heaven, and gave them right judgments and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And madest known unto them thy holy Sabbath and commandments, and commandest them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses thy servants, and gave us some bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought us forth water for, uh, and brought us forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hast sworn to give them. But they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks, and hearken not to thy commandments, and refused to obey. Neither, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks. And in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. And forsake us not, yet when they had made them a golden calf, and said, This is thy God, that brought thee up out of Egypt, and has wrought great provocations, Yet thou and thy manifold mercies forsook us not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud parted not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light in the way wherein they should go. Thou gave us also thy good spirit to instruct them, and withhold us not thy manner from their mouth, and gave us some water for their thirst. That could be what John 6 is speaking about. And go back to John 6 one final time. And in John 6, like I say, you've got the Jews quoting scripture. They really do put an emphasis, a great emphasis on the scripture, which is a great lesson for all of us. We get into a sticky situation, go to the scripture, like the chat from this morning, firing darts at all of us. And all you can do is just quote the scripture. Yeah. If you can, don't get into the flesh too much. Uh, but this is the bonus passage, and we will close. Our fathers, our fathers, our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written... Throw back to probably Exodus chapter 4, but I gave you Nehemiah 9 as well. And they are right in what they're saying, of course, here. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Nehemiah 9, which is read to you. In fact, I'll give you one more quickly. Uh, Psalm 78. Uh, Psalm 78. And of course, you can misquote the scripture. Satan would do that in Matthew 4 and also Luke for uh, Psalm 78:24, and it rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them the corn of heaven. 105:40, Psalm 105:40, 105:40. People asked, and he bought quails and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. So again, the bread of heaven for the Old Testament was literal bread. Which would, fit, uh, which would feed them quail. None of their clothes would wear out. Shoes wouldn't wear out. They, would, they were 40 years in the wilderness and the Lord took care of them. And yet most wouldn't make it into the promised land. Moses wouldn't go in, nor would Aaron, nor would Miriam. And uh, Joshua would, of course, go in, Caleb and a few others, but most would not. So it's a full circle. You've got Joseph. We started with Joseph as a type of Christ. His brothers, what would happen with them? Reconciled. You've got Moses doesn't go into the promised land and it's possible that some won't go into the promised land if it's a type of the thousand year reign possibly although i'm not overly sure about that but it's a full circle they clash with moses they clash with messiah they clash with joseph they clash with jesus joseph is a type of jesus moses is a type of christ again it's the whole 
situations, types and shadows. And all these passages point to an event that would come, first advent, second advent. And all the scriptures are being cited many times by the New Testament writers to point back to the Old Testament. It's not just fables or suggestions or this or that. It, it is written. It is, it is written. You know, the statement is made, has been made, the word of God says such and such, and it needs to be taken seriously because, of course, scripture cannot be broken. So we'll close it there. I won't go any further because we do with us volume four and a volume five, and that's not what I want to do for now. So we'll close it there, like I say. By the grace of God, we are able to finish this message. It's taken four years, but we've done it now. We did all the references from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts 1 was a bonus, which has already been duplicated slightly from this morning's message. But it's all good, and sometimes it's good to go over these passages again and get a fresh look. Even though we're all pretty tired, it's good to just keep pushing on. And we've got some more studies to come later this week. But I wanted to start this morning and this evening and uh, conclude this study, looking at all the prophecies of Christ. And we'll close it there and uh, commend this to the Lord. Amen and amen.